This week on Super Skull, we defeat the Scourge of Winter and receive our comics at the last possible minute, plus an examination of that warm feeling you get sometimes for various reasons. Alrighty, welcome to Super Skull, your weekly new comic day audio digest recorded live to tape from our semi-soundproof cosmic spire orbiting the moon in alignment with Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm your host, Marcus Schwimmer, joined by my friends and co-workers, Nick Wybar and Curtis Sullivan. Nicholas. Hey, Marcus. Today is Brown Wednesday. It's crazy. How, how's, how's the shop doing? It's great. We're up here podcasting and screwing around instead of working, so I am I'm loving Brown Wednesday right now. <laughs> and Curtis, we got our comic shipment in. We talked in our last podcast. We were having some issues getting our comics from New York, but... Postal delivery came this morning. We got what we, were, what we needed. We got 41 boxes today, you guys. That's a lot of boxes. The yeah. enti- so the back room that we do our receiving in is maybe, what would you guys say, 50, 60 square feet? It's the size of a thimble. It literally was filled with comic books, like floor to ceiling. Like you could barely move. Yeah, it was pretty intense. But we're knocking it out. Uh, well, they're knocking it out, and we're up here goofing around. So reading comics go. and yeah. bullshitting. It's great. Yeah. All right, speaking of reading comics... This week, like every week, we're going to break down the comics that we think you should check out. These are hot off the presses. Each one of us will do three comics. At the end, we're going to have a little wrap-up. It should be a good time. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm going to kick things off because as the host of this show, I'm going to make that decision. You're the kicker-offer. I'm the kicker-offer. So here we go. My first comic for this week, Scarlet Spiders number one. This is a spin-off comic from Spider-Verse. It's getting its own series. Written by Mike Costa, art by Paco Diaz. And what this is about is if you've been if you've been listening to me rave about Spider-Verse, because it's been totally awesome, we know that there's this this race of beings that are hunting all of the Spider-Men in all of the different universes. The inheritors. The inheritors. Well, the Spider-Folk are getting a little sick of it. So we have this team of three led by Jessica Drews. And all these three Spider-Men are clones of some of Peter Parker and their respective universes. But they become like this co-op, uh, this covert ops strike team. And they've jumped to a universe where this alien race is making all these clones that they're using to, for what purpose, we're trying to figure out. But it has very much like a black eye. Like one of the Spider-Men has like a stealth spider suit. And it's awesome because when he's stealthed, you see him on the page but they put these little... He's all kind of digital. Yeah, he's all kind of digitally modified so that you know that he's stealthed out. And it's, I think it's a really cool effect. But So what is, what is neat about this book? A, like I said, Spider-Man Covert Ops Strike Team. That's pretty dope. You got some Ben Riley up in here. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, you got some Ben Riley. Also, in this universe, maybe some of our favorite Avengers and Marvel superheroes are working for the bad guys. Mm. And so we uh, maybe, maybe not get a really awesome Tony Stark Iron Man security captain for this, you know, he's like the architect of this planet. I think maybe. Security. I don't like, think it's maybe yeah, not. No, I think it, maybe it, this it, is what's going yeah, on. this is exactly what's happening. Tony Stark is the architect of this, like the security forces on this planet. So the spider folk kind of get into a little combat situation with him and one of our favorite faces from the Fantastic Four. That being said, uh, this book has some pacing problems, I will openly admit, but I'm so digging on Spider-Verse right now, I'm, I'm happy to see that we're getting more Spider titles. Tony Stark is a dick in every dimension and universe He's right a now. He's a particularly uh, potent dick in this universe. Even more so? Yeah. And um, Wow. And so these spider folk don't really know what's going on in this universe. So it kind of brings the idea, like, what happens when you go to this place where everyone you know is still alive, but you have no idea about, like, the context of their upbringing. And uh, I think that's a really neat story. But, man, this character we meet at the very end, one of our our Fantastic Four characters, who I will leave a mystery, um, he looks like a total doucher. This is another surprise character in this universe who's like in a role that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So yeah, pretty fun book. Um, I'm I'm loving what they're doing with Spider Verse, and I'm loving to see that we're getting more Spider Folk. Uh, Spider Man looks so sinewy in this book. Yeah, he he's does. He's so like ropey and sinewy. He yeah. looks like he needs a sandwich. It's that clone meat. 
You know it's, what I it's mean? It's all that clone meat. They got, yeah, the it's art, like a different I mean, muscle like, density. The, you know, the art's okay. The story's cool. The art's all right. Yeah, the art's totally fine. Yeah, it's yeah. really... Uh, worth the pickup. It's yeah. serviceable. He just yeah. looks hungry. I just yeah. worry about him. Yeah. He's got a pretty defined... Sig- all of them do. I mean, there's just a lot of abs... Yeah, that's, that's, I'm not kidding though. That's scientifically part of the cloning process. Oh. Yeah, it's your body fat ratio is is much lower. Got it, yeah. Roger. You're being serious right now. I'm just kidding. God damn it! I don't know anything about cloning technology. I thought you were referring to like the cloning technology of the Spider Verse, and this is like some no esoteric spider stuff you're pulling out of your butt. You it's got all, me. It's all BS. You got me this time. All right, Curtis, you are going to be talking about, for your number one pick, a IDW number one. What do you have for us today? Today we have Shadow Show, number one, stories in celebration of Ray Bradbury. So a year or so ago, IDW did a novel with a whole bunch of writers that uh, traditionally do comic books, some non-comic book people also, but uh, they wrote stories based on their extreme reverence for Ray Bradbury and how it changed their whole trajectory, really. Um, so this first issue is Joe Hill, who we know from books uh, lo- like Lock and Key and The Wraith. Very, very good writer. Son of Stephen King. This guy's an awesome writer. Good writer, better comic book writer. I'm going to say it. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. I haven't read any of his novels. His novels are a lot of fun. They're really good. He's Nosferatu, a- I hear, is real good. But he's a phenomenal comic right. writer. Lock real, and Key is yeah. up there. It's very, very, very good. So uh, the, this book has a cool one-page intro to Ray B- Bradbury and his whole kind of a brief history of his life. So lots of stuff I didn't know about Ray. Huge comic fan. Uh, his formative years, all comic books, and that informed his fiction throughout his entire life. That totally makes sense. He was a diehard convention attender. He went to, you know, he traveled across the country on train to go to science fiction conventions when he was a young man. So I, all this neat stuff I never knew. I mean, I knew he was a nerd because he liked writing science fiction but no, he's like a real nerd. Cool. So that was awesome. Ray uh, Bradbury, nerd. <laughs> Stop the presses. This just in. So uh, who's the artist on this book? I'm totally blanking. It's the guy who did the Wraith with him, and these young kids find a uh, what looks like a dinosaur washed up on a beach. A little bit of a Loch Ness monster feel. Yeah. So this is not directly taken from a Ray Bradbury story. Uh, it's just inspired by Ray. In the vibe of, of a Ray Bradbury yeah. story. Yeah. Also in the back of the book, Joe Hill talks about how he's read every book Ray Bradbury's ever done at least twice. So he seems to be a big fan. Um, so I thought this was neat. Um, so each issue is going to be a different writer, different uh, writer and artist team up. Um, the next issue is going to be Neil Gaiman. Ooh. So that's exciting. And that's number two. In each one, it's going to be a standalone thing. Standalone it's, it's story. It's not an ongoing narrative. It's... Yep. Which is kind of a bummer because this book leaves you at a, at a spot you could stop, but also where you want more. It's one of those kind of cool, you know, sci-fi stories. I mean, this is more of a fantasy story, but where it leaves you with that little bit of hook where you don't know what just happened. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, Shadow Show number one IDW. It was cool. Awesome. So, Nick, you want to talk about one of the most loved uh, comic book adaptations that we've seen in a while what do you got for us today? So I have the, the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath is the name of it. So this is, I.N.J. Colbert has been adapting these Lovecraft stories and books into graphic novels over the past few years. And I think there's like at least three or four of them in the series now. Yeah, I think this might be four. Yeah. But it's, yeah. So the premise here is that Randolph Carter is obsessed with this city that he keeps seeing in his dreams. And the name of this city is Unknown Kadath. Right? And he just, there are these cliffs that he keeps seeing, and there are these crazy jungles, and there's this castle in the background, and he is just consumed by it. It's driving him crazy in like a classic, you know, Lovecraftian way where, you know, everything fucking drives you crazy, you know? Just madness. Yeah, get a hobby. But this guy's <laughs> hobby is dreaming about this city, and one night he's able to assume enough control that he's going on a quest in this city to find out its secrets. In his dream. In his dream. So he's going to try and find out why he's being haunted by it. You know, he wants to be there. He wants to hang out there all the time is kind of the vibe that you get. Right. Um, it's really, really well done. It's INJ Colbert doing all of the work here, but he's cleaning it up in really neat ways. Um, 
We've talked about him before. So he is currently working on Wild's End yes. with Dan Abnett. Um, he did New Dead Wardians also with Dan Abnett. He just Brass Sun, the collection of which just came out. That's an Ian J. Colbert book sure with is. Ian Eddington. Yeah. Um, the panel work is so neat. The art is perfect for a Lovecraftian thing because it's kind of it's super creepy and super bizarre. I would so I've read a good deal of Lovecraft and it is not always easy, you guys. It's like super ponderous. The dialogue is kind of tough to chew on. Nobody talks the way that characters talk in a Lovecraft book. I've only read some short stories, but I, I did enjoy them, but it's written a hundred years ago. Yeah, I mean um, it just it, it feels like, you know, the ideas are there, but like sometimes you gotta slog through some of the prose. Right. I would prefer to read these graphic novels over a Lovecraft book any day of the week. Well, I mean a book without pictures is like It's I mean, bullshit anyway. I mean, come on. What am I supposed to do with my head, my mind, exactly. while I'm reading? I mean, I can get my iPhone out <laughs> while I'm... Anyway, so, uh, yeah, this is The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. It's uh, it's really, really good. It captures all of, like, the creepiness and weirdness. What's the price point on this guy? Because it's a pretty sweet-looking book. It's a really well-designed like book. It's 1995. Deal. It's got the fake thing that they do on paperback sometimes, where it's like, it's not a sleeve it doesn't have a dust jacket it doesn't have a dust jacket but it's got the little fold over as if it does have a dust jacket. it looked really nice on a shelf yeah it's a nice looking book it's gonna look nice on my shelf and it just stands alone right all these adaptations are just one one and dunsies they're all one and dunsies although yeah. they all kind of share this you know they're all part of the elder god whatever and don't uh, look at it. But the or... name of this book, you guys, is The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Yeah. Is that a name? It's, or is that it's a name? It's super good. That is super yeah. named. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. As usual with Lovecraft, I mean, the names of all his stuff are just like, do you, did you go somewhere? Or yeah. did you come from some weird place? Are you not? Do, how does your brain work with words? The only other person that drives me is crazy is um, the guy who did Alien designs, you know, H.R. Uh, Geiger. Yeah. Or Geiger. You know, you just, there's just, there's no other person pulling from that data point. Oh, it's so original that it's it has to be its own thing. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like, Yeah, what, what planet are you on where you come up with this shit? It's totally badass. I yeah. totally agree with you. Awesome. Well, that is our first round of comic picks. Now we're moving into the second, and I am starting with Capture Creatures. I haven't done a kid's book in a while. You haven't, and now, but this looks like a pretty sweet kid's book. Yeah, so this is uh, Capture Creatures by Gibson and Drystat. Uh, Gibson's writing, Drystat's on the art. Um, it's, it's published by Kaboom, which is Boom's All Ages subsidiary branch. And what do I love about this book? What I love about this book is I played Pokemon as a child and really enjoyed it. And so this the idea behind this, this is like a catalog, right? It was an yeah. online catalog. Yeah, so there was homage. a there was a blog with um, where Drystat was creating all these pocket monsters. Yeah. And they were original but definitely took some cues from, you know, your Pokemon and your um, your Digi, oh, what was it, Digi? Digimon. Digimon, right. And she did like evolutions and backstory for right. all these and creatures. Wrote, yeah, and then now we have this comic. So what is the, the point of this comic is the characters that we've met are living on this island that is full of like park rangers and scientists, but the island is collapsing in on itself and we're getting these huge earthquakes. So all the scientists are like trying to have these recreation zones of the island by creating. So what blows my mind is we find out in this book that scientists are trying to like recreate trees. So something has happened right. in which like the natural world as we know it is really messed up, which I think is a really cool plot for a kid's book. But within this, we meet our first capture creature, which is kind of like a red panda. At the end of this book, something happens in this world that lets us know that maybe this red panda is not the normal creature that we thought it was. So this is like your Pikachu? This, it, is, this is your main capture creature. Yeah, this is, I think, our main capture creature. Okay. But the art is really accessible. It has a real cool kind of early video game feel to it. I love the art. Yeah, there's like everyone's in kind of like a uniform. Like scientists are in science uniforms and park rangers are in park ranger uniforms and you know I just like I, I really dig it I uh, love that the island is divided into two classes of people scientists park rangers third class troubling children 
That's it. That's that's all the people that are on that's this awesome. island. That is society. But it also has like a video game feel, right? So they're like going through these areas, and um, it, it just feels very broken up. Like you're in the park zone. Like that's just kind of what it feels like. And uh, I dig it. I totally dig it. Um, I look forward to what this book is going to bring to the table. I think it's a book where, because it's not an actual video game, it can kind of go anywhere. It has no restrictions right now. That's really interesting to me. I think it's totally worth a pickup. The art alone, if you ever played Pokemon, is really cool. It looks fantastic. It looks adorable. Yeah, I was looking at some of those online drawings, this catalog. Yeah. And the creatures are so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting, and it's, it's, it's significantly different... I think overall style-wise and aesthetic-wise than Pokemon. It's got its own thing, although it's you know similar in the sense that they're creatures and you capture them and they evolve. And Sure. But uh, it's got its own unique thing going. Yeah, so that's Capture Creatures. I, I think it's, uh, it's got a lot of potential uh, to, to grow and it's a, it's a format I'm really familiar with and enjoyed as a child, so looking forward to seeing it uh, do well. Curtis, the next book that you have is in 3D. Oh. Which is totally surprising to me. So I haven't seen a 3D comic in a little while. And I don't know if I've ever seen a 3D comic with with 3D this good. I've never seen a 3D comic that was actually worth the price of admission. The 3D in this book is blowing my mind. I put your glasses on for just one second and took a peek at a couple of pages. And it is... I've just never seen anything like it. it's working so well, and it only it's working in 3D in a way that it like has to be in 3D. So, yeah. So this book is Mad Men in Your Face 3D special, comes with 3D glasses, and proprietary 3D glasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the coolest things I've seen in a bit. So, why does this work? And for people who don't know, who is Mad Men? So Mad Men is a character created by Mike Allred. You've probably heard of him. He's done some of the best comics in comics. He did my favorite comic of all time, Ecstatics and X-Force, yeah. with Peter Milligan. Just my jam. So, uh, it, it, Madman is a character named Frank N. Stein. That's not his real name. Uh, he was a guy who died and was brought back to life by a couple of crazy scientists. And uh, one of the scientists was a big fan of Frank Sinatra and Albert Einstein. Hence... Frankenstein. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on with that dude's name. There's a ton going on, and he's kind of like a Frankenstein character. So I mean, it's all there. Is there does is there something in the narrative that like lends to the 3D? Is there are they like messing with like depth or dimension in like in the story in some way, or is it just a, a, yeah. a side thing that's awesome? So first off, Mike Howard's art is real poppy. If you've ever seen it before, it's this real kind of throwback Jack Kirby kind of thing in a way, but then also very pop artish. So it works in 3D just because it's that art style. But this whole storyline in this issue, which is huge, I got to say. I mean, this has got to be 80 pages. It is a monster of a book. But uh, he's trapped in his dreams. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get back to reality. So it starts off with like a, an ode to Little Nemo in Slumberland. And it's Madman in Slumberland. And like Mike Harwood's doing this really cool Windsor McKay send up on the first page. That's just really spot on. Still looks like Mike Allred, but also looks like little, little, little Nemo Windsor at McKay the homage. Exactly. And then as you go through this book, he flips through a million art styles. You know, he's doing Crazy Cat here. He's doing uh, Popeye over here, old school style. So he's basically uh, going through his crazy dreams and getting back to reality. That is so completely awesome. Can we talk about the amount of layers this 3D has? Right, so it's just like it's so deep in its scale that uh, it, for me, I worry sometimes, you know, with like the scratch and sniff, and the th- we did we've seen some three D kind of covers yeah, that we talked I about. Yeah, I hate a gimmick. It seems gimmicky, but this is not a gimmick in any way, shape, or form. It's so detailed and deep in the three D that it presents to you that it just knocks you off your feet. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's easily the best three D I've ever seen. I, I. I want more comics in 3D if this is what 3D looks like. If this like. is what it's capable of. Yeah, this totally kicks ass. It's The depth is so cool that as you turn the book, you it changes 
the depth. Yeah, nothing's moving, thing. but it is giving you like a new, like actually a new angle to look at the art. You kind of see it in a different way just by moving it, tilting it slightly. Can we talk about how cool it is too to see someone reading a comic with 3D glasses? I was gonna say on? my other favorite thing about this is that Curtis is wearing red and blue Mad Men. 3D glasses right like now. Like the proprietary 3D glasses that come with this comic. I mean, are you shitting me? But is there something like, not to get too deep into the philosophy of 3D comics, but like, as a viewer, is it not, does it not give you a sense of like, yesteryear, looking at someone with red and blue glasses, like totally immersed in a comic book, it gives you a feeling of something that's happened before and yet is still being progressed to be better. And I thought it was really cool. Well, and now that you mention that, uh, he's doing all these throwbacks in his art and in the storytelling. So we have, you know, so you're wearing 3D glasses like you would in, you know, 1982. but And then you're reading, you know, here we go with Where the Wild Things Are. We've got Dr. Seuss down here. I mean, we've got Calvin and Hobbes over here. It's just outrageous. He's just going through, you know, there's Fred Hembeck over here. He's going through, like... The history of comics all at the same time as he's telling and it's all within the context of the story and it's mike alra doing a dream sequence so he yeah. can do whatever the he wants yeah there's something um, so cool about so mike allred is phenomenal and he's one of these dudes that's getting better the older he gets do you know what i'm saying he's like when it's so some artists we've talked about this before on the podcast like some artists start to get in a groove and then they just hit that groove until nobody hires them anymore yeah or you know maybe they get hired because that's their style and everybody comes in for the you know whatever for the spe for the frank miller special yeah but this dude his art has gotten so much better just in the time that i've been reading him i, I totally agree and this is like a new level of from him that i you know because there's that distinct mike allred style yep. but he's doing all of these like homages and like imitations and plays and I just felt, and it was in that Silver Surfer book that he did that I really saw it. I was like, holy shit, Mike Allred, not only did he still, he still got it, but it's better than it was, I and, think. And, and he reveals himself to be like a comic scholar. Yeah. Like to ape all these styles and to know and to bring all this stuff into your work. You, you've had to have read these things and been, you know, reading comics for a long time. He brings a lot to the table. And, and you know, he's not jumping, you know, why do a 3D, why do a 100-page a 3D comic? It's not all the rage. It's not guaranteed to sell because it's in new 3D technology. You know, it's because you got there's a story that you want to do, and you think it would be really cool to do it in 3D. Totally. So, um, what's you the know, what's the price point of that book? Was nine ninety nine. So it's a little pricey, but it's a big book. I it's, mean, it's huge. It's at least eighty pages. It might be a hundred pages. And you get 3D glasses. That's like a three dollar investment. Oh, that's true. Right it's like a, there. It's like a seven dollar comic. Right. Three dollars. And you get glasses. awesome glasses. There's a cutout 3D cube Come on. on the back oh, as well so cool so you get to like make stuff you, you cut it out and assemble it yes oh i know oh man and the 3d glasses have madmen on the sides right of them. like yeah. you were wearing them in the store and not to like you know toot your horn but it looked fly yeah people were like dude yeah cool glasses you could just rock those you could literally take the glasses out you should don't throw the comic away but yeah so, Madman in your face, 3D special. It is worth your time and your hard-earned Skrilla. Scoop it up. Awesome. Nick, so we talked about Rasputin number one a while ago. Yes, we did. It was one, We I, I believe I said this is one of the greatest number ones I've seen in a while when we were talking about it. Does it hold up? I think it, it's it's better than the first one. Really? Yeah. When, I think it just keeps it, because how, where do you go from an issue like that? Curtis, you read, you weren't here for that week, but you read Rasputin number one? No, unfortunately, it oh. sold out immediately, so I have not read Rasputin number one. I know one. something about a comic Curtis doesn't. This is a first ever. Soak it up. <laughs> yes. Well, to catch you up then, please, Curtis, please the do. story of Rasputin, uh, he is... At the moment of his murder, we come right in, and he's about to be murdered by all of his friends. Oh, I'm lying. I did read it. Oh, you did read I it? I did. Oh, ha -ha. No. Sorry, you oh, guys. Shit. Well, I then you, te it. you tell me what it's about. So he's sitting at the dinner table, and I just love his inner monologue in that first yeah. issue where he just knows everybody's about to kill him. Yeah. You know, but he's just, like, rolling with it and, like, drinks the wine anyways. Like, this wine's poison. Yeah. You know, it was dope. So good first issue. Super good first issue. Yeah. Like, like mostly wordless. Yeah. Which was really cool. Super evocative art. Uh, the thing that... So they, they do this really neat thing with splash pages in this book. So if we, as we move from location to location, there's like this watermarked 
locate like the city that you're in is in gigantic letters across the top of the page and it just gives you this sense of like I'm not even going to try to pronounce this word but you're in Russian city and it's, it seems very like it's it's it feels important but it's also kind of cold and you want to try to take a No, take I'm a just I'm just one? trying to Pokrovsky. I think that's that was pretty good. I feel good about you it. You had a nice role on that actually. <laughs> and the ghosts of Rasp like his dad is just like his dad him. sucks. Yeah. His dad sucks, and he's like, his, he's just like hanging out, kind of behind him, in his ghost figure. Um, we start out also kind of where Rasputin was kind of a badass. It turns out this is like we join him either in his late teens or his early twenties. It looks like he's in a bar fight, um, so it's super actiony right off the gate. And well, the, the neat thing about sorry, go ahead. Oh, so we get this new character. I mean, one of the really intriguing things for me is we get this new character. We do get a new introduced, character. and he's kind of a military, but. I also get a sense like a little bit of maybe a dandy. You know, he's like very well put together and he fights with like a thin-bladed rapier. He's kind of a, a rapscallion maybe. Yeah, a little that's bit a, of a lady. Yeah. Well, he's French. He is. He's a little mm. bit of a ladies' mm-hmm. man. Yeah. He has a saber that yeah. he's just like whipping around. Um, so this one's a little bit more talky, but the neat, the hook about this book is like, so it's Rasputin. I, I gotta look into this and I'm going to now. Like, is it, how closely is this based on like beats in his life? Because the dude actually had a completely crazy life. Yeah. Like, that, this, that's a true fact. Well, but, no, please. I was going to say, most stuff I know about Rasputin is from Hellboy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I don't have any actual... Totally. ...real, I mean, a crumb of facts, but right. yeah. But in this book, he is bringing people back from the dead and healing people with some magic power that he has. And they just sprinkle that in. So I'm really curious as to, like, how much of this is based in reality? Are they taking the beats and then just sprinkling in, like, a little bit of you know, kind of magic realist superpowers that he has? Or is it all bullshit? It's, I am loving this comic book. It's pushing it forward, and now because we actually have, you know, Rasputin's not just a little kid, the character is developing. And it's, God, these splash pages, you guys. Yeah, they really they really kill it with it's, the guy. It's there too much. Um, what, is, what is this back? So on the back, it just reads in giant letters, if he didn't complicate his life so needlessly, he would die of boredom. Interesting. No credit. I don't think that was in the book. I don't remember reading that anywhere in the book. Alex Grecian is the writer. Riley Rosmo is the artist. And he's in top form. This is Rasputin number two from Image Comic Books. Awesome. Well, that is our second round pick. We're going to dive right into the third round. This... Do you ever have a moment where a book is coming out that you had no idea was coming out, and yet it's exactly what you're looking for? I know what you're talking about, and it's the it's the best feeling. Yeah, well, that happened to me today with Nirvana of the Northern Lights. So I'm a huge history nerd. Can I just stop you for one yeah. second? That's the magic of New Comic Book Day. Oh, go on, Curtis. You know what I mean? So we all work in a comic book store. And you'd think maybe after years of unpacking boxes of new comics, basically enjoying like a Christmas-type holiday once a week, 52 weeks a year. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, right? Yeah. But you might get a little jaded. You might be like, you know what? Oh, another box of brand new, awesome comics, hardcovers, graphic novels, toys, trinkets, t-shirts, right? You might get a little jaded. But then you realize that will never happen because no. you open a beautiful box and bang because this wasn't on your radar no, at all. I had no idea that this was coming out. And, and, and man, it just, it was one of those things where, like, Curtis showed me the cover of it. And I'm going to totally get into the meat and bones of this book in a second. But I was just like, oh, well, I'm going to check that out. That's got kind of an old-timey look. And then you figure out, it's like, oh, this is exactly what I love about comic books. And I had no idea it existed. So what, what's awesome about Nelvana of the Northern Lights? You're warming my heart right oh, now. Oh, man. I love what you're saying. Nelvana of the Northern Lights was a comic series created in Canada in the 1940s um, by a gentleman named Adrian Dingle. This is a dude I know nothing about. Also know nothing of this guy. But he lived in Canada, and there was a ban on luxury goods during World War II. Part of that ban was American comics. So American comics could not be imported into Canada. So this guy's like, oh, I have a brilliant idea. I'll make comics. And he writes Nelvana of the Northern Lights. What she is is she is a god of the Northern Lights who protects the Inuit people of Northern Canada. And she's like, her dad is the god of, of these Northern Lights that you see 
Um, and we get sometimes here in Michigan. But these people are, the very first trip in this book is, you know, these people can't find their food sources. So one of their chiefs calls all of the Inuit people of northern Canada together and is like, we need to call for Nelvana, the, the, uh, the princess, and she'll come take care they of her. They already know about her. They like, already okay. know about her. Yeah. Well, she's a deity. Yeah. And boom, down she comes, and she like finds out that there's this person polluting the oceans of northern Canada and kicks their butt with her brother, who is so beautiful, he has to be disguised as a great Dane that she rides around the ice covered wasteland of like northern Canada because he's so beautiful yeah because he's so pretty he has to he can, he, mortals cannot view him in his godly form but it's it's so awesome and like she was created before wonder woman yeah and yet very few people know about her it just it, it blew my mind and so it starts with her being like this warrior of the inuit people of northern canada and ends with her being like a world war ii spy fighting the nazis good Lord, that I'm is awesome. In love right now. Yeah. yeah. It comes in a beautiful hardcover. So this was crowdsourced. It was on Kickstarter. Um, the uh, editors of this book, uh, Hope Nicholson and Rachel Ritchie, were inspired by this, the history of this, this Canadian comic book, crowdsourced it, and people were like, yeah, and I'm so happy it happened because it's... It's a giant hardcover. What's, uh, what's the retail for? It goes for $53.99. Okay. So kind of a pricey book, um, but totally worth it. But it's it. huge. I mean, there's a ton of comics. Yeah, in and this is everything. Yeah. This is all of the Nelvana in existence in one book. And you have historical essays in the beginning. And you have art by some really cool modern artists with their adaptation in the back. It's just totally worth every penny. Um, and I, I can't wait to read every single page of it. But it's just, I, I, I know nothing, you know, I, not nothing, but I know so little about this Inuit culture of northern Canada. And it's literally the country that I live an hour and a half away from. Yeah. And it's just so cool to see that they have their own comic history that is starting to come to light. Well, and has such a huge place in the history of all comics. I mean, the first f female superheroine, or second did we discover? I think second. Is second. second. Yeah. What did we determine? It was... Uh, Fantoma. Fantoma. By this guy first. named Fletcher Hanks, which we need to talk about that guy at some point. Cause that guy is a madman. Holy shit, he's got a book called I Will Destroy All Civilized Planets. Yeah. That's all you need to know for now about Fletcher Hanks. And, that, we, and that is maybe the first published superheroine. Yes. And now Nelvana being the second, maybe. Just by like a month or two. Oh, god damn. And then Wonder Woman comes maybe three, four months after. Yeah. So what's cool about Nelvana is not only is she the first, she's not only is she this pioneering female superhero, but she has a brother, a god, who accompanies her, but he's a dog and she rides him around. Like, it's like, it's even, it's not like she's just out on her own doing her own thing like she is the superhero that people come to now i haven't read this yet but is are they fetishizing it or are they like is it like you down man dog or no, is it like no, no. Did they just kind of fold it in yeah i think it was just a way for them to kind of i, mean, I could be I'm totally wrong this is just a guess that like for them to justify that there's a great day and that she rides around on oh okay that's somewhat sentient yeah cool. um she's envir an environmentalist she total environmentalist like, so. yeah so there is well she's saving a ton on fossil fuels riding that dog around that's yeah. right her carbon foot she has a dog footprint she doesn't <laughs> even have a carbon footprint like the art the last like so it really focuses on what is happening in this northern canada so like when we find out that there's some kind of beam that's calling in all these animals you know it's like the seals of the arctic are lured by twinkling lights Polar bears begin to swim unexpectedly to their doom. So it's very Canada-y. Yeah, it's just really awesome. And it, the animal art is just as cool as everything else. So so last night we talked about, when we did our holiday gift guide yeah. in yesterday's podcast, we talked about like comics for super nerds. And had I known about this, oh, yeah. had we known about this, yeah. fit, fit it right in there. Thinking about gifts for that person that's super into comics, but maybe hasn't, you know, something they might have missed. Oh, yeah, I, I've completely missed this. Right I've, in the pocket. Yeah. It's, I've never heard of this until, you know, uh, a couple months ago when we put the order in. Yeah. You know, I was going through previews and I had to jump on the internet and like, what the, what is this? How do you not know about, you know? Yeah, that's huge. You know, because Fantoma, right, so she's the first, but she ran for n no amount of time. I mean, just, to, just months even. Yeah. Fletcher Hank's career is like maybe two years long. Well, and Nelvana's run is done before the 1950s begin. 
Yeah, I you think know, uh, I was reading 47 is the last. So it ran for, what, six years how or so. How would it be if someone brought this character back? Yeah, relaunch Nelvana. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hashtag relaunch Nelvana. It started. Now, what? how come the artist, the creator's name is not on this book anywhere? Uh, is it not? No, it's not. That's a little weird, isn't it? Yeah, that mm. is a little um, that is a little odd. But it is it is definitely. It's in the back matter there. It's on the, no. the back. No, no, it's not on the back of the book even. Can we say his name again? Yeah. Uh, oh, it does say it on the back of the book. It's Adrian Dingle. Adrian Dingle. Well, yeah. that's why they didn't and put so, it on the front of the book. I think while reading some of the um, forwards and some of the essays in this, that he has a. Whole, there's a whole spectrum of these 1940s Canadian comic book characters that maybe the people who've edited this book together are researching to do a bigger thing on oh, cool. the history of Canadian comic books. All right. Neat. Yeah, well, totally. Nirvana. Yeah, definitely check it out. All right, Curtis, you are going to dive into Gotham by Midnight. Please, is this just another... Batman book in a sea of Batman books that we already have. What is this? Surprise, I'm doing a Batman book. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Gotham by Midnight, number one, uh, new from DC Comic Books. Uh, the writer is Ray Fox, who's been doing a bunch of books. The art is by one of Vault of Midnight's favorite comic book artists, maybe of all time. He's up there, uh, Ben Templesmith. Mm. Yeah. This guy can draw his butt off. He can also write his hiney off. Um, Talk about a dude who's getting better at drawing, I it, think. This book... Rock. So again, it's kind of like Gotham Academy. It's set in Gotham, but it's not too Batman-y. Batman shows up for just a second. It focuses on a detective named Jim Corrigan, who is sort of uh, the special, you know, spooky squad leader. Him and his gang of uh, cohorts uh, investigate the, the spookier side of Gotham. So he like hangs out with a nun and a crazy forensic scientist. And uh, I love how they walk into this because it's an eternal affairs guy. Like, yeah, you guys have. Hundreds of hours logged. You have no arrests. Totally. This is embezzlement. Like I'm, I know you guys are embezzling money, and they're like, no, it's just really weird. We're looking, yeah. we're investigating ghosts and shit. Yeah, come, ar- come along for a ride. Yeah, along. why don't you hang out with us for yeah. a little while? We'll show you where your money's going. So you know that's the setup. It's great. Yeah, it opens with here's this weird little precinct house. Here's the uh, you know uh, investigator coming in to shut them down. They go for the ride along. Stuff gets super weird in. You know, classic Gotham fashion. So, and in classic Ben Temple Smith fashion, it's like spooky as hell. The scary stuff yeah. that he does is real scary, like nuns with tentacle faces and like sixteen <laughs> eyeballs and stuff. It's like super weird and gross and scary. Little Lovecraft, maybe. I guarantee. Uh, totally. Yeah. You know, with the tentacles and the spider Dude legs. Dude loves tentacles. Yeah, huge fan. <laughs> so, um, I won't prattle on because it's another bat book. Yeah, but, uh, but at the dudes. same time, it's not another bat book. Oh, it does not feel like it a, doesn't feel batty. It doesn't even feel super gothamy, really. Yeah, it, it, you know, I think they they drop a couple like touchstones, you know, that lets yeah. you know it's in Gotham yeah. locations, stuff like this. A couple characters. Yeah, and it reminds you that Gotham's real weird. Oh yeah. You know, it's a fucked up. This city. stuff isn't happening in Metropolis, right? New. This could only happen in Gotham. Yeah. I got a little bit of a Constantine vibe from it. I'll give you that. I could see that cameo happening real quick. No yeah. problem. I'll yeah. grant you that, and I'll raise you one fell. Mm. Which yeah. is the other Ben Templesmith book. Right. Ben Templesmith, Warren Ellis, rather. Exactly. No, the lead character, Jim Corrigan, I enjoy quite a bit. Yeah. The way he, his talking is real good. I think they've established... I mean, the character's been around for a while. You know, uh, Gotham Central, I think, is the first time we see this version of Jim Corrigan. He's been around in a few different iterations in the DC universe. Um, maybe the Spectre. He was the Spectre at one point. Mm-hmm. This is a different Jim Corrigan. Turns out um, there's a bunch of Jim Corrigans. Our, our, our internet research unearthed. Three. Three different Jim Corrigans. Yeah. Huh. You know, it's like not that common of a name. Maybe you just make up a new name. But exactly. Whatever. All I can think of is Jimmy Corrigan, too. I'm like reading it. I'm like, this is not the world's I know, smartest boy. And then it's boy. Jimmy Corrigan. <laughs> oh. So, any hizzle. Gotham by Midnight, number one, DC Comics, check it out. You said Hizzle and Skrilla in this podcast. I'm loving it. I've been hanging out with my daughter a lot lately, and so she's been (laughs) hipping me the the new jive. I don't think she says jive, though. She does not. No, that was, I was doing the the old man thing. Got it. Yeah. All right, Nick, we are going into a book that I first read and said, what? And then you read and said, awesome. And that is Ada C. It's just Odyssey. It's spelled O-D-Y dash C. 
Yeah. Oh, I think you just say Odyssey. Odyssey. Yeah, I think so. So it's the um, the it's the Odyssey. It's the story of Odysseus, right? It's not the Iliad. But the Iliad, yeah. Okay. If you like. Got it. But it's the Odyssey. Got it. Um, and so this is, you know, puzzle. But the idea is that, first of all, it's in space. Got it. And all of the genders are swapped. Dudes are chicks. Chicks are dudes. Yeah. And the, the, the idea, I think that's, in the back matter, he says that's how he started out. That was the, the big idea. He wanted to create a story for his daughter. He wanted to create a big hero story for his daughter to read. And what's bigger than the Odyssey? Nothing's right. bigger than the Odyssey. Right? Wow. His daughter... That's a good idea. If you flip the genders, it's... That's kind of massive. Yeah, but it turned into something else. It sounds like because okay. it's he, it's more than genders. He then he flipped further genders and like he you know more of the characters are women and there's like very few men in the book at all and there's there's reasons for that that they kind of get into in the book. It's super out there. You had some trouble reading this and I I also had some trouble reading this. Yeah, right? I, I found it to be um, a little distracted. Distracting, I think, is a better word for it. Like, not the the content that is there isn't good. I think it has a lot of really good content. Um, I just found myself getting very distracted and having a hard time with the flow of the book. So it's weird because some. So the art's beautiful. I think it's objectively yeah. beautiful. Right. And, and really, it's just the, just looking at it aesthetically. But so there's a couple pages where the panel work is super clear. Like we got a sweet fight scene here with Odyssea. Odyssea is her name. Got it. And it's just like really tight, snappy panel work, panels within panels, all working off kind of like a 12-grid format, you know? And then in other pages, it totally throws it out the window and is messing with borders and panels in ways that are... It actually makes it tough to just see what's going on. Um, That being said, it's very intriguing. It's very, very different. She's rolling around in this ship named the Odyssey, O-D-Y-C, and she goes into like a crazy slumber womb state submerged in water while her captains have to like stay psychically linked in order to row her across the cosmos. I mean, that's just like one little thing. It it feels very much kind of like Brandon Graham in the way that he's just tossing these like really huge ideas, like sci-fi ideas out there. And maybe he's going to go somewhere with them, and maybe not. It's and maybe pat- you don't even need him to, right? You maybe like, you have to. enough to... Absolutely. You know. Like, Poseidon is the god of, you know, the space sea, and he's offended by, you know, how Odyssey has been behaving and the hubris of humans in general, and so he punishes her. Um, it's And it's taking all of the beats of the Odyssey, but it's just twisting them a little bit. There's also, we should probably say, there yeah. is a... One, two, three, four, eight-page fold at the very beginning of this comic. Eight page that, like, it's just feet of opening splash page is the first introduction to this comic, and it's just a big panorama of a battle scene. Uh, it's really, really cool. Dope. Yeah, and who's uh, doing this bad boy? Oh, uh, yeah, it's Matt Fraction is writing it. We should definitely say he's doing Sex Criminals and Casanova and a bunch of other stuff. He's a really good writer. This does not feel like a Matt Fraction book at all. Not at all. I was very surprised once I started going into it. Which is kind of cool, but it is, you know, brace yourself. Sex Criminals, it is not, for sure. And Christian Ward is doing the art. Cool. Uh, do you know Christian Ward? I don't. I don't know no, Christian Ward. No, very nice. It's really good. I'm going to be looking into him. Who, who colors it? We should say just I think the coloring is outrageous. There's no colorist listed, so we're going to assume that it's Christian Ward. Neat. The flatting, which is a term I've never heard before. Flatting by D. Kanif. Flatting. What does flatting mean? Is Listen. that is that somehow related to the coloring? I don't know. Well, Listeners, one of you knows the answer to this question. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be some term for what, the, the the crazy style of art that they're doing yeah. here. But yeah, no colorist listed, but the color is fantastic. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, those are our recommendation picks for the week. We hope you get a chance to come into the store and check out what we have. Now we're going to move on to many listeners' favorite part of the episode: the hot and nasty. Now this week, because there's so much good stuff coming out, we've decided that we are gonna give Curtis Sullivan one full minute (gasps) to break down everything that he has. This is due to the fact mostly that this may be one of the most epic weeks for graphic novels we've seen in a long time. Yeah, and maybe 30 seconds isn't enough time. There's too much stuff. Here's the thing, is this is what we're trying to do on Super Skull. We're trying to tell you about the cool shit that's coming out every week. 
we don't always have enough time to just go through all of it. So this is our opportunity, or we try to do a little wrap-up of all the stuff that we didn't have time to talk about, put it in the competent hands of a, prof of a professional, who's going to tell you what's up, what else came out this week. As quick as can. Absolutely. So, Curtis, are you prepared? Are you ready for the rules? I think so. I'm going to... So, this week, we're going to do some graphic novels and some single issues. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and alternate as well. You just do. do whatever you want. Okay. However you feel. You have one minute to pitch as many comics as you can. And I need to be sold on each comic wow. as you read it. Wow. And if I don't personally want to spend my Skrilla on it, then I'm not going to accept the book. And this is like a new thing now because we don't know, you know, all the numbers, old numbers going out the window. So you got a full minute. Oh. So you're setting the record right now. Got it. It's already a world record. So, I mean, I've won, really. You've basically won. Are you ready? I think so. You may begin now. Deathloop number two. This guy's from Detroit. He's a combat medic, and now he's also a cybergenetic killing machine. Uh, Captain America and the Mighty Avengers number two. I still haven't read number one, but Marcus really, really likes it, and I love Falcon as Cap. Wayward, number four. I still love this book. I think the art's killer. It's about vampires, monsters, Japanese lore, and an Irish-Japanese woman in Japan. The Roche Limit, about a failed utopian society in deep space. Uh, Michael Mordecai and uh, Miguel Ferrer. That's not the artist's name. It's a cool sci-fi book. It's from Image. It's sci-fi. Weird. Butterfly. This is a really cool, uh, what is this, an espionage book. Uh, it's got great covers by Phil Noto. Uh, give it a look. Prophet Strike File, number two. This book is completely bonkers. This is uh, listing characters and giving their history from the strange and super weird Prophet universe by Brandon Graham. Give it a look-see. Luther Arkwright by Brian Talbot, the hardcover compendium. Finally. And time. Whew, I stumbled a little bit there. I was... Uh, that was a really good run, even for the 30-second run. I was trying to By give... the time you got 30 seconds, I was trying to count how many you were at. It's trying to give a more detailed description. You know, I want to go fast, but like I want, I want you to care. The pressure was on. I was feeling the heat, man. You did a great job. How many did you get in a minute? Seven. Seven. But I think what you did is you upped the game in terms of what's required of the pitch. Right. I want, I want you guys to care about the pitch. I want to go fast. Yeah. But how do you, you know? How do you do it all? And this isn't rehearsed, you guys. That's something we should say. We're just going in cold. <laughs> That's true. You're just you know, drawing on. Just... Your rehearsal has been 18 years of retail knowledge and comic book reading. I guess so. And then com is. beyond even before that, probably. Yeah. You probably read a comic before you opened a comic shop. Probably one or two. So now we're going to dive into our fan question of the week. Nick, I'm super excited about this question. What do you got for us? We're always super excited about the question. I'm super excited about the question. This time... It's from listener Devin. Devin's actually asked us some questions before. He's really awesome. He's very inquisitive. And we appreciate that. We appreciate it. So uh, his question was, with the Grand Rapids Comic Con being this past weekend, how have you guys seen events like this change over the years? Where would you like to see them go? Devin notes that personally, he would like to see them concentrate more on comic creators, but I also understand that you'll never have the 30,000-plus attendance like is expected at the Grand Rapids Comic Con, but maybe that's okay. Is it? Is it? So I've been going to cons for a bit now, um, but I, I tend to go to the big boys. Uh, I've been to C2E2 a number of times in, in Chicago, Wizard World in Chicago, which that con is, is its own interesting story. Um, and I've been to Motor City Comic Con, uh, being the smallest of the bunch that I've been to. What do I love about cons recently uh, that wasn't always true in the past? I love the fact that be when I go to a comic con, I get excited because I know that I'm going to be with thousands of people who are some of the most accepting people on the planet. They just want you to be happy and to do your thing. Everybody's having a and good be time. Be yourself. There is a flip side. This. No, no, please. This is, and, but with that comes the part I want to change. There's been a huge problem lately with cosplayer harassment, especially to the lady cosplayers in cons. Mm. You know, we want, I go to it, I'm like, yeah, I want you to be whoever you want to be. If you want to dress up as a giant turtle, go for it. If you want to dress up as Wonder Woman with the chains and the short skirt, you know, whatever. Like, whatever you want to do, this is the place for you to express yourself in that way, regardless of, of anything else. 
The downside of that is you have people who think, I'm going to go to cons to see attractive women in skimpy clothing, and that sucks. That aspect of it really, really sucks. And because, you know, the fact that you're cosplaying is giving permission to, for, to people to say things to you and to interact with you in ways that you don't want to interact with, and it's not, you know, you're... I think I saw a thing was cosplay is not consent. This yeah. whole idea that you know. So it is getting better. It's because a couple of years ago it wasn't even acknowledged that yeah. this was a problem, and now it seems like the real the big con organizers are are really buckling in. But uh, I'm going to say something that I know Curtis is going to kind of go on the opposite. Is I don't like incredibly specific comic cons. So C2E2 is by and large my favorite. And the reason I like it is because I can get a little bit of all the things I like. I can do some comic books. I can look at toys. I can go to a panel by DC Comics Entertainment about what's happening in the next season of Arrow. And I can meet fans who just like weird stuff that I have no idea about. Because we're all in this one convention center. Yeah. And, and, and I just think that these cons that are incredibly specific are never going to be able to grow um, to, to, the, to the size other cons are. Yeah, so I will say that San Diego Comic-Con, I've only been once, this is my favorite con that I've ever been to, and it comes under fire a lot for being too mass media, too TV, too video game, too everything other than comic books. And, I, you know, I gotta say, my one year going there, I didn't agree. There's so much of everything that if you just cut the comic books and made it its own con, it's bigger than any other comic exclusive con that I've ever been to, and I've been to many. So, you know, that said... There is kind of a, you wonder how much it's going to encroach and how much it's going to overtake uh, these shows. So one of the oldest, maybe the oldest vendor at the San Diego Comic-Con, um, Mile High Comics, is no longer going to exhibit at San Diego. They announced this after San Diego's con last year. They've been there since the very first one. What was the reason they gave? They are getting overshadowed by many things they cited even so exclusives was a big thing they they cited so everybody you've got all these con exclusives that you got to get so if you've got a budget like i know when i go to a show when you say this you mean con exclusive single issues single issues or a toy or, or anything stuff that you can only get at the convention you can only get at san diego comic Con. that a retailer like mile high may not have access they cannot to. get yeah no and so as a con attendee you've got a budget oh, so if i'm going to san diego like my budget's pretty high you know it's like you know, I could go as high as you know five, eight hundred bucks. Like I'm, I know I'm going there's a big show, but you've you've got a ceiling, and you make this list, this magic shopping list. Well, I need the Destro Disco version that's only available here. I need this lenticular cover that's only available here. You go to your ten different exclusive places, get your jams. What do you got left for the other vendors? So that was a big thing that they cited, and then also traffic is so intense, it's hard for people to shop. That so, was a big thing I noticed, especially at the con that Devin's talking about. Yeah. At the height of the convention, you couldn't move. So you're in the vendor alley. If somebody stopped in front of you to shop, that yeah. means that a hundred people behind you can no longer move. Like it was insane. And that's that's you know, so you know, at the end of the day, right, if you're an exhibitor, you've got you know, those shows are expensive. Yeah. It's expensive to put a booth and have people man it for 12 hours a day for three or four days. You've got to sell stuff. So I have a question about this, because at one point you put the kibosh on Vault of Midnight doing conventions, like having a present at presence at conventions. Yeah. But what was, what was the thinking behind that? Well, so we work in a comic shop all day long, that, every day. That's for sure. And even when we're not here, we're doing podcasts, or we're reading comics, or we're reading about comics, or we're reading about things related to comic books. And uh, cons are a ton of work. And I like to go to con, a con as a fan. And I, you know, I just decided that we, you know, we already do this for a living. We already rent a physical location. It's just, we don't need to sell more stuff more than I need to go to a show and buy my G.I. Joes or my you know, comic books. So it's just too much work. There's also that thing at the end of the show when everybody blows out the prices of everything. So you're surrounded by vendors because you're in Vendor Alley yes. or whatever. And everybody around, nobody wants to go home with any of this shit. They all want to go home with as little as possible, right? Because right. you got to yeah. move it and you got to cart it around. It's heavy. So last day of the con is drop your prices. Price war. Exactly. And then the guys on either side of you are dropping, you know, 30, 40, 50% of what they're selling. And now if you don't compete with them, you have the 
basically the same shit as they do. Yeah. So you, it's you're gonna obviously lose business, and then it's a total waste of time. On the flip side of that, I did notice last year at C two E two that there were a couple like booths. So there was one where these guys make these flasks that look like Super Nintendo cartridges. Yeah. They don't have a physical location, right? Because they just make that one thing. Right. So like for that kind of retail, cons are perfect, right? Absolutely. It's the only place I'm going to be able to do it. And that's it. the kind of stuff I want to get at a con. Exactly. Yeah. So like, is the retail side of cons changing? Yes, I think so. But that being said, like, I personally don't want to lug around 30 comics at a conventional day. Right yeah, I like, guess it depends on what you're there for. But I'm yeah. a huge crate flipper. When I go to cons, I'm flipping through long boxes. It's my favorite thing to do at a convention. Yep. Really? Yeah. It's just See, I, do not, I don't go for, for, for comics. That blows my mind. As much as you love doing back issues right. at the shop. Yeah. I could do back issues at the shop all day it, with a smile on my face. The thing is, when I go to cons, like I am there to be social and meet new people. Oh. Like, I'm going to the talks. I'm talking to people I don't know. Sure. It's no holds barred. No one knows me. I don't know anyone. I can I can be the super nerd I want, and if I meet people who are like that, I've made a friend that I'm not going to make otherwise. It's 100% a social I event that, for me. Because that, yeah. that is the thing that I hate the most about comic really? book conventions. Is the shit, the throngs of people. It's just oh. so many people. And depending yeah. on how well the conventions run, it's... Not a fun experience to me to oh. be, just be stuck in a giant, you know. Yeah. I never feel stuck because I'm always like, oh, that person has a Frodo Baggins cosplay. Hey, 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 can I take a picture? Cool. Hey, I'm Marcus. I look at Dan Albert, blah, blah, blah. Oh, look, there's an Iron Man with the chest reactor and it's purple and I've never seen that before. Hey, dude, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. See, and that's, and why, like, we, that's why we love you, buddy. Oh, man. It's just, my, it, it, I get a high from it when I come back from like big cons. I get on my Facebook and it's like, you have 15 people who, you know, and it's just like, this is the coolest shit ever. You're what they call an extrovert. I am very much an extrovert. I like yes. that. About I you. do like me a good panel. I will say. Oh yeah. A oh, good panel. You know, at a show. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, we saw Joss Whedon uh, when we were out there at uh, San Diego, and it was totally excellent. My panel claim to fame, and this is another cool thing about cons. I'll say is, so I got to ask Kevin Sorbo, who used to play Hercules back in the day, like, what's your workout routine? You've had a very good physique for two decades plus. What is it? And he just goes on this long tangent about like golfing and pooping and what you put in your body comes out of your body. You like, talked to Kevin Sorbo about pooping? Yeah. No. I have it on video and it's just like, that is awesome. that's never going to happen, right? That can only happen at a Comic Con. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. So I don't know. I think cons now are better than they've ever been. And what the cons of yesteryear were where you're just sitting there flipping through long boxes, you know, I think... I just think that that's always going to be part of a con, but with as big of a market as nerd media is today, cons can't just be that. Yeah, but they can't leave comics in the dust because it all comes from comics. I don't think it's possible. So I'd love a sweet, if, if con organizers just keep that nice balance. Because yeah. I'm a video game player. I'm a TV show watcher. I watch all the Arrow and Flash and all that stuff. I love all the movies that they're making out of all this stuff, but I, I, I want it all. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the Grand Rapids Comic Con, before we wrap up, we should probably say this is the second year of the Grand Rapids Comic Con. They sold 30,000 tickets to no this shit. Thing. That's huge. They, and they are poised to move to huge venues next year. Starting in 2015, it's going to be like a downtown Grand Rapids thing. And it's going to be massive. That's great. And it's, so it's poised to become like one of the... It's, I Give it a few years. It's got to grow and it's got to figure its stuff out. But it's going to become a huge destination convention in the Midwest. That makes me so happy. We need that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, guys, I know we've done two podcasts back to back, but this has been a ton of fun. It's a whirlwind of podcasts. Wow. I feel like we could... I mean, there's just so... I, the crazy thing is we've done two podcasts now and there's so many things we just... I think we could still talk oh we could podcast every day if we had to so should we drop the hint that we are doing a history of the vault yeah we're absolutely so we're working on and thinking about right now a a special one-shot episode uh, which is the history of vault of midnight that'll be coming really soon so if you have any thoughts about vault of midnight if you have any memories or specific questions about vault of midnight you should share them with us you should ask us because it'll help jog the memories of uh the, the folks that work here uh, yeah, as, two decades later. Some of it's not all of it's still there. But yeah, so yeah, we're thinking about, uh, we're putting it all together right now and we should have that released shortly. And as Marcus mentioned yesterday, stay tuned for the Ryan Brown interview with uh, that Marcus and uh, George Benson out of our Grand Rapids shop did. And uh, that'll be hitting the old internet very, very soon. 
Great. Well, guys, it's been a ton of fun. This ends another issue of Super Skull, the Vault of Midnight podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter under at Vault of Midnight. You can send us questions for our question of the week segment at superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Super Skull can be heard on SoundCloud and iTunes every week on New Comic Day. Our music was created by the Atomic A-Bomb. Our logo was designed by the image wizard Phil Wong. Our producer is the sound guru, Catherine Gorman. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff since 1996. This is Marcus Schwimmer for Nick Weibar and Curtis Sullivan wishing you good reading until next week. <laughs>